All right, investigators. Uh, who remembers where we left off last time? I don't. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that answer. All right. Um, who knows what we're chasing down in this uh, case? We are tentatively as thinking it's a slime of some sort. Yeah. Okay. It kills people in the showers. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so we've had uh, two supposed victims so far. A uh, young woman named uh, Sabria Sterling, who we've investigated through. And then you were recently uh, left the scene of another recent passing from an elderly woman named uh, Rebecca Catheridge. Um, you did some investigating on the scene um, with Hopkins. Uh, and you'd bumped into uh, Reese while you were there, since it actually happened in the Kirby apartment complex. Uh, and so you do, you were going to follow up on, I think, the autopsy report, visit the scene, and talk to um, the coroners and such there. Uh, but Reese had asked uh, you guys to swing by uh, the witch house, the museum there, uh, because uh, Ashcraft had uh, some notes that he wanted to share while he was uh, out visiting friends last month. So I believe we left off with uh, you guys at the um, witch house, having just run into Ashcraft and... Um, another employee at the witch house there uh, by the name of Jeremy. Uh, so you guys are standing outside of the witch's cabin, which is behind the museum, if you remember correctly. Uh, now, we do have uh, improvements outstanding for the both of you. I believe, Paxton, we're still working on yours, but uh, Dr. Clay, we are going to add the hunches to your playbook which is when you sense something bad is about to happen you get to roll plus sharp and depending on how well you roll you can either be there or you can preemptively be there and try to prevent it um, but we are going to cap it a little bit to fit our police procedural theme here uh, like I said, uh, behind the scenes here, we're going to, you're going to need to have a vague idea of what the creature is uh, in order to understand its, like, psychology and then, like, how it operates, how it moves, how it attacks, um, that kind of thing. Like, the things that it can do magically and mythically. Uh, and then the third uh, critical piece of uh, body of evidence to activate this ability is going to be how it like finds its opportunities or what it's like modus operandi is when uh, securing a victim so you know when and where to be uh, in order to intervene in these opportunities sound good sounds good all right is it still gonna be supernatural knowledge though or uh it's it's not necessarily like you're going to be f working off of theories that you're developing throughout and remember that 
Dr. Smith, his archetype here is like the expert. So it's there's not very often where he's going to be necessarily wrong. Like he might have like multiple theories going at once, but there's a decent chance that like one of them is going to be right. So it's kind of just like he's piecing things together and working off of I guess it's it's more of like a probability kind of thing like considering all the factors this is the most likely place where this thing is going to attack and just because of how plots work he's going to be right you know what i mean all right um he's got a large body of evidence or and a pool of knowledge to work from in order to make sure his hunches are largely correct so you know it's gonna it's I mean, it's a game, so it's going to work out a little conveniently, but um, he's like, that's why also why we're capping it, though, to like make it make it seem more realistic than he just figures like, oh, he's going to prevent the first murder before it ever happens. Like, there's no body of evidence to work off of, so you know what I mean? There's got to be a little, a little groundwork to do before this ability activates, but if he has a wealth of knowledge on the current case, it should... It should be able to help him out. So, um, and this is gonna—I mean, those bodies of evidence are gonna come from both, like the mythological lore of how like certain mythical creatures work, but also, again, it's gonna lean into your zoological elements as well. So, like any creature that's or any familiar that has like a creature base, uh, any informed intelligence about the creatures it's based off of is going to probably uh, factor in too. Like um, nocturnal creatures attacking at night and so on and so forth. Like this carries over into uh, how you formulate your theories. So there's a, there's a lot of wealth of knowledge that he's pulling together um, in order to make these. They're called hunches, but they're pretty informed uh, just by the nature of him being the expert and that kind of thing. Do you have any idea what your improvement's going to be, Paxton? Or are we just still working on it? I'm still working on it. I'm going to check the the add-on module first. Uh, we, yeah, we can figure some things out. Um, in that case, um, you have in front of you uh, Mr. Richard Ashcraft, uh, the attendant of the Witch House, which uh, you guys have discussed uh, with before. And uh, at his ankle is his uh, uh, pet cat, museum uh, mascot, Thackeray Banks. Um, lovely little black cat. Um, a man of culture. He is, for <laughs> sure. Uh, and uh, Jeremy had walked you guys back to meet Dr. Ashcraft. And uh, before he goes, uh, Ashcraft's like, uh, Jeremy, if you wouldn't mind putting a pot on so we can get some tea for these gentlemen while we have uh, a fun discussion. He rubs his hands. He's like very excited about uh, what he's going to discuss with you guys because he is a huge nerd. So um, first, he's, though, he's going to ask, like, gentlemen, it's been a minute. How have you been? Like, what have you been up to? I'm so glad that you guys have continued to stay in the region and then... Uh, Obviously, I hope you still have some interest in uh, our history. 
been doing a lot of legwork. Uh, I've visited some friends who know a little bit more about some of these kinds of things that you were asking me about the last time you visited. Uh, so I do have some notes. And he pulls out like a little notepad with some uh, whole mess of scratches on it that he's fluttering through as he's like reading some stuff. Uh, so do let me know if there's like anything at all that you guys are a little more interested in uh, learning further details about. Uh, but um, we'll uh, we'll get a pot on. We'll get uh, some tea going. Do you guys are you guys like tea? How do you like your tea? Honey, milk, sugar. What kind of tea? Uh, whatever we happen to have in the back there, Jeremy. What do we got? Um, and he's just like, I don't know, some kind of black tea. <laughs> <laughs> Lipton, probably. Potentially, yeah. Then just water. Yeah, just water's fine with me, too. Alright, uh, Jeremy, can we get some uh, waters for the gentleman here, then? Uh, but uh, keep that oh, pot on, because... Uh, keep that pot oh, on. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, black tea with water is... Black tea with fine. water? I thought, oh, fantastic. Yeah. I thought that was... you. Your style would be more uh, with milk. Yeah, I mean, I definitely could use the calcium, I guess. <laughs> Fantastic, he says, and he uh, claps his hands about. So, uh, have you visited any of the other historical sites in the region yet, he asks curiously. I've been pretty uh, stuck in this area so far. Okay, okay. I thought for sure you guys might make your ways out to Salem, since you had so many questions about uh, the witch trials earlier. But, um, uh, honestly, if you ask me... Um, our little case here is like one of the more fascinating elements that gets buried under the the annals of the annals of history, if you will. Not not many people are familiar or aware of uh, just what sort of fascinating circumstances these uh, women have found themselves in. It's a real shame. Yeah, it is, but it's also very. It's very intriguing, you know, just the sort of minds and methodologies that they had in the Puritan era, just how they went about, how they came to their conclusions and the sort of research, he says with air quotes, uh, that they've conducted. It's, it's honestly, this stuff is, it's a, it's amazing to see how far we've progressed, but it's, there's just some innate curiosity in it that's just absolutely so what did they do for research so i ran into a few of my uh good friends who are um you know uh like early like uh pre-industrial or, or early or late i guess it would be late late medieval for the like a renaissance maybe renaissance yeah i guess uh frontier time sure yes uh anyway these gentlemen that i ran into they love this stuff as well they're huge uh fans fascinations with like witchcraft and stuff but their body of work tends to be primarily uh, like european so they have a little more uh insight onto different styles and of cultures regarding uh witchcrafts and uh all the uh the huff up and uh 
hysterics involved. So I did pry into their skulls a little bit about a little more how the the European scenes were handling their cases of witchcraft, and there are some absolutely fascinating details. Um, you know, the King James of Scotland is apparently, at in his time, a absolute authority on this subject, uh, having published uh, a whole piece, uh, one of the most famous of uh, in witch hunting literature called uh, the Demonology. Um, uh, after his uh, rather interesting encounter with uh, witchcraft during the process of his arranged marriage. Uh, fascinating stuff when you think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the title of that might be something I'd like to um, peruse at my leisure um, later. So he tears off a small page in the back of the note, and he gives you like a couple of different uh, works cited for that. But um, you would actually be maybe a little bit aware of um, King James's Daemonology, uh, which is actually like a very famous piece of text that uh, he wrote himself. Um, that's often cited as a a guide in a basically a witch hunter's bible, if you will. Uh, describing mm -hmm. a lot of things. It is public domain, so you could probably even search it on the internet. Did he write okay, it before okay. or after the Bible? Oh, no. The demonology is thought of as a witch-hunting Bible, is what I meant. Yeah, I know, but like he made the translations to the Bible too, right? He's no, this is, a, this is a different King James. Oh, okay. Uh, this is King James the Sixth of Scotland, uh, who would later be known as King James the First of England once the uh, country was reunited. Uh, and very famously, his son is also responsible for the division of the great, uh, uh, the Great British Empire when uh, Scotland regained its independence when they split because of civil war. Uh, King James is a very famous uh, figure, though. Okay. Uh, but probably not in, in the history cycles, obviously, but it might not be discussed nearly as much in like high school classrooms or in such of his, um, his fixation with um, witch hunting. Um, and then I'll have um, um, Mr. Ashcraft pick up again. That was kind of me talking on a character. Let me mm -hmm. find the exact uh, phrasing here. Uh, but there is... I wonder if I have it in here. I might have to do a little bit of uh, Googling in Wikipedia because this is research stuff that I did ages ago and do not remember as thoroughly. There's a very famous case involving um, uh, King James. Uh, in which he was headed to meet with his uh, fiance, and on two separate occasions, uh, the um, uh, basically he sent a party ahead of him to kind of like announce his arrival and you know, as like a, like a formal kind of thing, because it's their royalty, right? It's all you know. Mm -hmm. uh, he sent uh, like a small armada, like a, a few boats, uh, to um, to 
go, I guess, receive his uh, fiance, uh, and it got they both got turned away massively from like massive awful storms that um uh, affected uh, his boats. Like one of them, I they got turned back, but the other one looks like actually like real shipwrecks. I think it like fucked over the small uh, fleet that they sent. Um, but yeah, uh, let me see here. Do they have? Here we go. Which hunts? Yes, the North Berwick Witch Trials. Here we go. So I'm gonna give you two Wikipedia links here, just so you guys can do a little bit of digging if you want. This is uh, Demonology. This is the book that he wrote. Um, Written by the high and mighty Prince James, by the grace of God, King of England, Scotland, France, and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, um, in 1597. Uh, and then this here is the incident that he was involved in, uh, which is the North Berwick Trials. Uh, so... Um, Yes. So uh, so this was the first major witchcraft persecution in Scotland and began with the sensational, uh, sensational case involving the royal houses of Denmark and Scotland. So uh, King James uh, VI had sailed to Copenhagen to marry Princess Anne, uh, sister of uh, uh, Christian VI of Denmark. And during their return to Scotland, they experienced terrible storms and had to shelter in Norway for several weeks before continuing. Um, but literally they had sent two envoys ahead of them and they both got turned back. Uh, and then on the third King James was insistent on leaving himself. They did make it to Denmark, but on the way back, they had detoured, um, because of uh, continuing storms. Um, and so they had to shelter in Norway for several weeks before, um, continuing again back to home to Scotland. Uh, and so at this point, uh, the witch trials uh, were revived in Denmark. Um, they, uh, uh, do, 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 what's it say? Um, the admiral of the Danish fleet, uh, Petter Monk, uh, argued with, uh, uh, blamed the storm on the wife of a high official in Copenhagen whom he had insulted. So the Copenhagen witch trials uh, were held in Denmark in 1590. Uh, one of the first Danish victims was Anna Koldings, who, uh, under pressure, divulged the names of five other women. Uh, and they all confessed to being guilty of sorcery by raising storms that menaced Queen Anne's voyage. Uh, and that on Halloween night, they had sent devils to climb up the keel of her ship. Uh, and in September, two women were burnt as witches in Kronberg. Uh, James heard the news from Denmark regarding this and decided to set up his own tribunal. Uh, and then uh, there were several accusations made uh, for like almost a dozen of different people. Um, uh, the main allegations covered like a dozen of different people. Um, and then very soon, almost a hundred suspected witches in North Berwick were arrested and many confessed under torture had to having met the devil with, uh, having met with the devil in the, uh, the church at night and devoting themselves to evil, including trying to poison the king and other members of his household and attempting to sink the king's ship. 
Um, yes. Uh, but this is actually uh, one of the most uh, interesting elements. Here is um, the two most significant accused persons were a woman named uh, Agnes Simpson, uh, Sampson, a uh, respected and elderly uh, woman, and uh, Dr. John Fion, a schoolmaster and scholar. Uh, both were uh, refused to confess and were put under severe torture. Uh, Samson herself was brought before King James and a council of nobles, uh, and she denied all the charges, but after being tortured horrifically, she finally confessed. Uh, by special commandment, her head and body hair was shaven. She was fastened to the wall of her cell by a witch's bridle, which is an iron instrument with four sharp prongs forced into the mouth, so that two prongs press against the tongue and the other two against the cheek. She was kept without sleep and thrown with a rope around her head, and only after these ordeals did she confess to the 53 indictments against her. Uh, she was finally... 53 indictments, yes. Uh, she was finally strangled and burned as a witch. Um, and according to news from Scotland, declaring the damnable life of Dr. Fian a notable sorcerer, a pamphlet produced in 1591, Samson confessed to attending a Sabbath with 200 witches, uh, Duncan among them. Uh, Fion also suffered severe torture. He endured by having his fingernails forcibly extracted and having put uh, iron pins thrust therein. Uh, and then a few different torture devices, uh, such as the pillow inks uh, and the boot. And he was finally taken to Castle Hill, uh, Edinburgh, and burned at the stake in uh, 16th of December. Uh, that said, I believe there is a story of Dr. Fion almost managing to escape his confinement, only to be re-detoured back into captivity, which is pretty funny. Um <laughs> Uh, but one of the probably the most interesting elements is that um, when um, Agnes Sampson finally confessed uh, to the crime of um, trying to sink Queen Anne's ship, uh, she very famously restore. Uh, uh, she very famously recalled the words that uh, King James had spoken to his wife Queen Anne, and during their. Um, their wedding night together, which is obviously a very private moment between uh, two people. Uh, so the fact that she knew what King James had said to his wife in private uh, was evidence enough that uh, she was a witch uh, and had been told some secrets, probably by the devil or something like that, or used some magic to overhear it herself, and she was condemned to death. Uh, but yeah, very famously, she literally recited... Uh, his own words back to him, uh, what he said to his wife while they were betting on their first night. Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's a few other very interesting stories, but this was um, this was King James's first um, real bracing against uh, witchcraft uh, personally, and it did went on to inform a lot of his decisions and. Uh, the sort of um, laws and rules that he would make governing uh, witchcraft and the persecution thereof and inspired him to eventually write the demonology, which became uh, a Bible for Scottish and English witch prosecutions and discoveries um, during his reign. Um, there would be many other different instances of... Uh, witchcraft persecutions throughout his reign but um almost very famously as well 
there's a couple of stories at the end of his um his life uh where it seemed like he got maybe disillusioned with the whole witch idea um and there's like a famous case of maybe like a dozen or so 12 to 13 people in a small village that were um that were arrested and some of them were executed uh based on the testimony of a young boy who claimed that they were witches depending on something that he saw and then might have also suffered from uh but it turns out that King James himself arrived on the scene to do like a little investigation. And after spending less than an hour talking to the young boy, who is the primary witness, uh, managed to get him to confess that it was an entirely a fabrication. So towards the end of his life, he may have gotten a little more rationally minded, as we would say in modern times. Uh, maybe like a little, he, he saw through some of the bullshit that he had maybe perverted during his youth. Um, maybe he was wising up a little bit, um, but certainly on early in his, um, marriage with, uh, Queen Anne and forward, uh, he was a huge, uh, both witch hunting authority and somebody who was adamant about the persecution of witches, uh, during his reign in, uh, Scotland and England. So he's very much, uh, one of the bigger names involved in, um, the hunting of witches. Uh, and then obviously a lot of these things would inspire like other things like uh, it literally says on the demonology page that uh, the demonology was a source and inspiration for Shakespeare in the production of Macbeth who features famously features witches as like a, a series of characters that uh, get called upon uh in some scenes so um the demonology itself is also very interesting uh it's sectioned off into three parts that they call book one book two and book three um book one is um the argument of the first book is on the following topics regarding the description of magic. So the division of various magical arts with a comparison between necromancy and witchcraft, the use of charms, circles, conjurations, a division of astrology, devil's contract with man, comparisons between the miracles of God and the devil, and the purposes of these practices is to advise people. Um, so like, uh, this is kind of like, the book one is defining what witchcraft is and how it differentiates itself from, you know, like miracles or any other sort of God-given blessing. Um, and then uh, the book two is uh, based on the following topics regarding the description of sorcery and witchcraft uh, itself, uh, difference between biblical proof and imagination or myth. So the differentiation between what they would consider real magic and what they might consider hearsay. Um, a description of sorcery and its comparisons to witchcraft, which there was some distinctions. Uh, very often, uh, witchcraft could be something that like lay people could potentially do if they heard of like black magic charms and tricks that they absorbed. But sorcery in itself was particularly supposed to be a. Um, in I'm saying this in pretty vague paraphrasing terms. And there's like a decent chance I might be slightly mistaken on some of the nuance, but I believe the sorcery was supposed to be like an actual contract 
like with the devil to be granted special powers like you attend the you know the night sabbath and uh you have like a uh you might run even like a coven of witches in this case and stuff like that and um the path to uh, sorcerer's apprenticeship, curses, and roles of Satan, the appearance of devils and the times and forms which they appear, uh, the division of which actions and the methods of transportation and the illusions of Satan. Uh, but book three is the conclusion of the whole dialogue. It says that the demons are under the direct supervision of God and are unable to act without God's permission. He shows how God uses demonic forces as a rod of correction from when men stray from his will. Uh, demons may also be commissioned by witches or magicians to conduct acts of ill will against others. Uh, he quotes previous authors who state that each devil has the ability to appear in diverse shapes or forms of for varying purposes. If you guys ever are familiar with the Ars Goetia, which is um, uh, touched upon very lately in Fate Grand Order, actually, when they talk about the... 48 or 42 odd demon pillars there's actually supposed to be 42 or 48 odd i can't remember the exact number uh actual demon lords in hell uh and it's taken from the ars goetia and each one of them has a brief on who the demon is what their rank is in hell how many demons they happen to possess in their armies uh and that's sort of what they're in charge of uh in refers in regards to like what sins that they are um uh i guess in charge of like trying to force or convince other people to conduct uh their um expertise if you will um and then the forms that they are known to take when interfacing with humans ours Gracia is also very fascinating uh it's a much older book than this so um uh, and then uh, he says that ultimately the works of demons, uh, despite their attempts to do so otherwise, will end up in the further glorification of God. Basically that um, uh, God does supervise uh, demons as a largely a, a, you could consider it like a test or a trial of character. Um, so that a largely either people do not succumb to these forces or they prevail over them or God's will prevails over evil, that kind of thing. It's all ultimately, um, the, the, there's like a very famous philosophical, philosophical argument that is, is if God is benevolent, omnipotent, and uh, omniscient, uh, then evil should not exist. Uh, and therefore, um, he is evil. God, God, yeah, either he is evil or he, he becomes evil by allowing evil to exist. Uh, and so, king james's argument is that it all comes back to the ultimate glorification of god as an almighty power and uh his him being correct and him being righteous um it basically like it's like you know forms of temptation or you know evil to triumph over uh that he allows to exist in order to uh to guide mankind kind of thing um so rather than de demons being like directly antagonistic, it's ultimately like God does have domain over demons as well. It's just that, you know, uh, it's all for like a purpose for, for his ultimate end of just being an almighty benevolent kind of, yeah. 
Um, so why kill witches then? Uh, because uh, witches basically failed the test, I suppose. They sold their souls to evil and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but they will be judged when they die, so why hasten that? Yeah, I mean... Uh, but obviously people in this position like King James would think that this is for the edification of God. Um, that they're doing his work on his behalf as a direct avatar and thus, you know, steering the world uh, down a righteous path, that kind of thing. Um, and then... Um, I did notice that um, in the description for what they did to Mrs. Sampson there, um, they did shave her head and body. Um, was something similar done with Dr. Fian? Uh, potentially. Let me find out. Because Dr. Fian also has a John Fian. Has a page. Because uh... from the sounds of it, it sounds like hair and such is a pretty common element in a lot of believed witchcraft rituals and such. Absolutely. And um, Atchcraft actually uh, follows up with uh, maybe some of the sentiments that you were noting, Dr. Clay, and uh, saying that in particular, there are a few different uh, elements regarding the persecution of witches that does seem to be pretty consistent in their body of evidence. Um, like, obviously, um, any sort of, like, uh, uh, odd tattoos or self-flagellation or markings that seemed completely inconsistent with the Christian faith might be seen as a sign of, you know, devil worship. But um, there are a few different things that like really stood out about um, particularly their how they tested to see if somebody was a witch or not during their uh, persecution and torture thereof now obviously historically a lot of this is somebody says that you're a witch you get imprisoned you are tortured until confession and then confession is taken as granted and you're executed as a witch so but, why didn't they? Oh, why didn't they confess to like somebody, like uh, like they say that the king's uh, wife is a witch with them? And they saw them on the. A lot of the know, time, covenant. obviously, it's a. Sometimes it can just be a power play or hearsay. Like if you somebody accuses the. The queen of witchcraft, they're probably less likely to hear that out. Because of you know status. Like, the king wrote the Bible on witch hunting, so obviously he wouldn't marry a witch. Like, you know what I mean? It's all about, you know, who can get away with saying what. Uh, obviously, royalty and the higher nobility is a lot more impenetrable when it comes to, like, rumors and stuff like that. Obviously, it happens, but, um, you know, you know, who, the people who get investigated are, uh, A, mostly women uh 
just because of you know the misogynistic mentalities of the era uh b mostly poor people because again class strife uh you know it's all like the same thing in from a sociological perspective it's you know, yeah, but why would they be accused at all if they're poor they don't have any enemies well they have enemies amongst themselves like other poor people you know what i mean like people In a lot of these cases, people who sort of people who stand out by not making friends uh, often get accused. Like the the dregs of society is actually a very common theme in witchcraft. Whereas, like if somebody lives alone and never bothers with the community, doesn't attend church or things like that, these are outliers that stand out and make them more vulnerable to be accused of witchcraft and such. So, like. It's kind of like any sort of deviation from the norm is a lightning rod for ac um, accusations. Uh, if you are not like conforming with uh, all your good Christian neighbors, then uh, it wouldn't be that surprising if you had an accusation hurled your way eventually. If something weird went down uh, or any sort of weird anxieties got ached up um, very commonly like weather or like crop yields and things like that would instigate accusations uh any sort of um military strife if a country's like at war and things are going bad or um uh stepping out of our conversation like a little bit but like um very famously all the sort of the anxieties that circled around the film which trials themselves uh cite this very often where it's like um it was incredibly cold like it was almost it was one of the most severe winters uh in its time like for several years before or after like they were in the middle of like a minor ice age like it was Weathers were the weather was extreme during the uh, Salem witch trials. Very cold. Um, crop yields were incredibly uh, poor for uh, the years running, and because it was a colony in Massachusetts, during, before like the real establishment of you know they're they're up and coming colonies. They're I've gone over this a little bit I think uh, real early in our campaign, but. Uh, the Massachusetts colony at the time of the witch trials was in this sort of weird limbo um, legally where they hadn't re-ratified a constitution that um, uh, under like British control. So like they were kind of like in this weird limbo where they didn't have a formal government at the time, which would create anxieties. And then another common one is uh, as a young fledgling um colony uh pre like revolutionary era and such before they fully developed they were constantly engaged with threats from uh like native american um encroachment they were constant hostilities between uh the puritan pilgrims and the native american presence that they pushed out uh by colonizing the americas so like there's so many different factors that like led to the bubble that was the Salem witch trials. Uh, but that's a theme that will carry through a lot of different um, 
instances of like major witch accusations even in like uh in europe and in the rest of the colonies um like when anxieties are high uh and then something else goes like weird on top of it then all of a sudden it becomes this big puff up and like a dozen people are accused of witchcraft for some reason like oh we don't have food because the farms aren't producing uh you know so and so is a witch and she cursed our crop yields you know what i mean um but to go back to uh specifically the sh the shaving and the the lack of uh like hair and such um during investigation obviously torture was a very common method of ex uh extracting confessions which mm -hmm. uh was then like considered you know oh we have a confession so now you get executed um but there might be like in the early cases of investigation when they're arrested and hearing out rumors but are trying to pin um more what they would consider practical evidence uh to support uh their case in order to move to torture and like extract confessions and such um there are like several bodies of different types of tests that could be done uh or other sorts of forms of evidence to uh, accuse uh or to complement your case that somebody is a witch there are many different sorts of tests um uh conducted um specifically there are some uh very famous uh different cases um ashcraft starts by going over a few of the cases uh that the colonies in particular during the salem witch trials that they like to use um uh salem itself was very big on what they called spectral evidence so anyone who was afflicted um like basically cursed or anything like that could see basically like an apparition an like a spirit copy of whoever their um uh their um assailant was so they'd say like oh i see the spirit of goody goody mason attacking young uh, you know young Anne or something like that and so they like anyone who was afflicted would say that they saw the spirit of a witch it was largely like almost kind of like an out of body experience kind of thing where they would you they believe that a witch could be in one place but send their spirit or their soul to inflict harm on another rather than like a sort of more nebulous like oh you've been cursed it's like the act of cursing is literally like somebody's spirit is attacking you like that is what a curse is you know what I mean? So people who were <laughs> afflicted or previously afflicted by witchcraft would claim that they had uh, spectral evidence that they could see the spirit uh, inflicting this harm on somebody else. Um, obviously, that's like hearsay. We would consider that like hearsay eyewitness testimony that might that doesn't have like a real body of evidence behind it. But remember, this is uh, pre-rationalization, you know. They were they were taking at their word if they saw something. So, uh, I mean, all these accusations start from rumors. Like, 
witchcraft doesn't exist. It says Ashcraft, obviously. He believes that. You would believe that. You know what I mean? Uh, well, you guys, you two particularly know better, but, you know. Uh, so, like, spectral evidence, there would be that kind of thing. Um, particularly, they used uh, in Salem some white magic. There was a thing called a witch's cake where um, you'd make a – was just, I guess it would be, like, a, a sort of cake bread. It was rye meal and then um, – You'd actually, uh, the urine of the victim was mixed together and then fed to a dog. And then the dog would then um, be able to, A, detect who the witch was uh, because of this. Um, it was said to be a reflection of like malignant particles that were ever present in victims. Kind of like how in practical forensic science, you would might find skin cells of the assailant on a victim's body uh they thought that the the magical equivalent is that there were malignant particles from your assailant would in would be present on your victim and so they had methods where the superstitious methods obviously but that they would um reflect these malignant particles back onto the assailant so they could identify them in many instances these things were also said to cause um like pain to the witch if they were detected or reflected back using these like white magic methodologies um so the very beginning of the salem witch trials uses a witch's cake in order to try to identify the witch and then um the the pastors immediately step in and say that um although they considered that to be white magic because it aids in the revelation of a witch to use magic to combat magic is not great and so in this Why case, would they call it magic? They should have just said it's a natural phenomenon. No, okay. they'd say it's like magic, but uh, if there's like the one instance in the beginning of the trials, but they'd say uh, they immediately stepped in and like using any sort of magic to combat magic is not like the will of God. And then um, the woman responsible, who I believe was either related to Sam Parrish, the uh, pastor, or a very close, like highly regarded woman in the community. She got, she got reprimanded, but she never faced actual consequences like, um, uh, discommunication from the church or her own accusations of witchcraft. Like they recognize the difference between what they consider white and black magic. Uh, it was only ever used the once in the Salem trials. And then because of the public reprimanding, uh, they never used it again, but that's when the spectral evidence becomes a, defining uh mark of um the body of evidence they used during the trials uh there's also like a lot of other interesting things uh salem also would use a touch test which is uh when a victim is blindfolded and then touched by the accuser um and then somehow the victim even though they're blindfolded would be able to identify uh, who the witch was when they touched them because there would be like some sort of reaction, probably visceral pain uh, by the assailant making contact with the victim. And then it was also supposed to, to be reflected back onto the witch as a uh, co-sympathetic action. So like, honestly, like in a rational sense, you might argue that like it could just be like a static electric shock, but if they both react to the touch, then they're going to think that that's, you know witchcraft and that would uh 
uh, pin on your assailant. So technically, they said that uh, if a if the assailant touched their victim, um, even though the victim is blindfolded, they'd be able to identify the assailant as their assailant because of some sort of reaction that uh, probably like a physical reaction like pain. Um, but the fact that they could do it when they were um, blindfolded was supposedly to lead credence to who was actually a witch and who wasn't. Like, uh, literally, you could have five different people poke you, but to be able to call out one specific person was evidence enough that they were a witch. Like, oh, the second finger that touched me, there was, like, I, I felt something. You know what I mean? Um, so touch testing was very common in uh, the witch trials. There uh, also were um, several stories he pulls up in his notes, uh, Ashcraft, about different sorts of bodies of evidence that they would use in Europe. There's one particular one that calls out, and this is why he um, he leaped on your opportunity to talk about um, hair specifically. So there's mm -hmm. a concept uh, that runs pretty common throughout um, um, England and Scotland as an investigative tactic, and that was the discovery what they call the witch's mark or a devil's mark or occasionally they'd call it like a witch's teat or a devil's teat um and this was really it could be any sort of blemish um very often it was considered a a mole a birthmark a skin tag any sort of like unnatural blemish that we would consider just to be you know whatever but um, they would consider like if they had evidence of, you know, like an, a weird mole or like a birthmark or uh, skin tags are common. Um, they'd consider this to be where you were touched by the devil when you've uh, made servitude to him. And, and particularly in since England and Scotland are huge on familiars as part of their uh, witch myth, which doesn't like extend as far into the rest of Europe. It's literally like a, a British Isles kind of thing. Um, uh, they believe that uh, the witch would feed the familiar from this mark. Um, they would like suckle blood from the witch in this particular spot. Um, it was supposed to be dead to all feeling. Uh, so like if you poked it or something, the witch wouldn't feel it. So every once in a while they would, uh, during investigations, they would shave all your hair so they could fully examine your body uh and then they might poke and prod with like needles to see if they get a reaction or something and any sort of patch of dead skin that like did not prompt a reaction from being poked was considered enough of a body of evidence to be a uh, devil's mark um also it said that um these particular patches were um were not they were not able to bleed properly. So if you cut them there or poke them there, they wouldn't actually draw blood. Only like the familiar that was feeding off of the site could draw blood from the witch to be fed. Um, so like any weird blemish or anything like that, that when poked and prodded didn't bleed was considered an evidence of a devil's mark. And it literally could be like anything. Um, so oftentimes during investigations, uh, it wouldn't be uncommon for uh, women uh, to be like stripped and shaved and then examined and then almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. Like if they discovered a odd blemish, 
that uh, they could pin that as evidence that they were a witch, even though like it's and that be... it could be uh, yeah a completely innocuous little like a mole or even like like a just a sort of like um um benign growth or anything like it could be anything and they would use that as evidence uh but it is a very common theme throughout a lot of um uh the the greater british territory uh a mark of how they did their investigations is if they found a mark on them uh this was considered enough evidence that they were in fact a witch um there's a few other small bodies of evidence in the similar vein. They said that uh, it's largely believed that like witches couldn't cry, like they couldn't produce tears. Uh, probably, uh, it, it sounds very interesting. Like if somebody got hurt and they never cried, then then people would be like, "That's odd. Why don't you shedding tears?" It was said that like tears were supposed to be some sort of grace of God, and that uh, witches could not produce them uh, because it's like a kind of like a blessing although that also seems like one of the first things that they would throw out during their torture if they ever got uh screams and cries and tears from their victims while they were investing you know what i mean like uh, so much of this is like a matter of absolute convenience to support their case that they're like, mm -hmm. ignoring uh like a critical and rational thought to the contrary um evidence that helps their case they jump on and anything that conflicts with their case they ignore it's very convenient uh in their lines of thought um there is i think one other note here i have uh Ac um ashcraft then goes on to uh citing a few other very interesting cases um and he's like particularly one absolutely interesting and famous case was um a woman named uh margaret atkin who was a witch was found to be a witch confessed to be a witch uh but interestingly enough um authorities at the time inquisitors and such ended up she said she confessed to being able to identify other witches and so she was permitted to live in order to insist with further investigations so they'd bring margaret ekin into like a town or something whenever they had you know rumors of witchcraft and they would bring people to visit margaret and she would said some sort of special mark in their eye was an identifying feature to her that she could call out someone who was a witch or wasn't um and so huh. she was used very often as basically like an expert witness i guess as part of um investigations in um england for like a good span probably like uh i can't remember how long it was but probably like a year or two um and then somebody got wise and they were like something's going on here uh and she was proven to be a fraud when they brought the same woman to her twice uh and she got a different ruling both times once she was uh, pardoned and once she was by accused by Margaret of being a witch and so uh, Margaret's own inconsistency in being able to identify the same person as a witch or not a witch twice uh, uh, was uh, enough to convict her of fraud and then because of that she was then sentenced to death um, huh. like <clears throat> how, how much time was there between the two 
rulings. Because she could argue that like some time in between had passed, and uh, uh, I believe it was not very long at all. Like they, okay. they were like in the same town, and they brought this. They happened to bring the same woman to her twice, uh, and she ruled differently both ways. Uh, and so she was found out. She was found to be a fraud, and then was uh, executed. I mean, she could have claimed that the second time she used a spell to cover her witchiness. I'm sure she tried, but you know, there's like a certain point where people are like getting a little wise to her shenanigans. Uh, so, uh, but like that's that was a, a very interesting case where they used a witch to help them identify further witches, supposedly. Uh, And then um, there was also a very interesting uh, uh, case of uh, a woman, uh, Elizabeth Seymour, uh, better known as Lady Cromwell, who would eventually uh, serve uh, Anne Boleyn um, uh, at one point, was... um, they had um oh what's it called she had heard of um some accusations of like witchcraft and cursing and said that um i believe that maybe even she herself lady cromwell was the uh, target of a supposed curse uh but they had um snuffed out who um the witch uh who was uh threatening her uh was it was a woman named alice samwell uh, and so what Lady Crummel happened to do is actually took a lock of Alice's hair uh, and then burnt it. So uh, the act of burning Alice's hair was uh, supposedly led to um, weakening her powers. And then whatever – oh, I believe she was investigating. She was uh, – uh, I remember this a little bit better now. She was – somebody in a household was suffering from, like, spasms and, like, other sorts of, like – chronic pain uh and then lady cromwell came in to assist with an investigation uh the family believed that this other woman alice samwell was responsible for the affliction so uh cromwell took parts of alice's hair burnt it and then apparently the symptoms that the victim was suffering managed to cease uh shortly thereafter and so it said that um burning a lock of a witch's hair is supposed to weaken them uh, so that's like another sort of hair fixation uh, that you see in um, uh, some basically like I guess that would also be uh, considered like white magic counter witchcraft. Um, I also remember uh, in my notes a more amusing instance was um, if uh, you were I think this was like a Scottish or maybe f- like a French German tale. Somebody said that at, uh if you were inflicted by a curse uh, from a witch, you're said to, if you peed in a bottle, corked it, and then buried it somewhere in, like, your yard or whatever, as long as that bottle was still corked uh, and untampered with, it was said that the witch that cursed you could not uh, pass water herself. So she, like, 
as long as that bottle was corked, the witch that cursed you could not use the restroom uh, huh. herself. Uh, and that was said to uh, uh, obviously being unable to use. We've all been there. Uh, it, it would eventually cause great pain and discomfort being unable to pass urine. Um, so that was often considered a sort of instigating point to uh, for the witch to go searching for this bottle. Uh, and so if anyone's digging around your yard looking for a bottle of urine, you would accuse them of being a witch because who else would bother? Uh, so like... How would the witch know where the bottle is, though? They they wouldn't. They'd know who they cursed, and then they'd have to come back and then look for the bottle. So they wouldn't know where the bottle is, but if somebody's looking through your yard for a bottle with a shovel, you'd be like, hey, that's not right. You, you're up to something. That was that was the whole point of burying the bottle, though. So that if the witch couldn't find it, then they'd spend a lot of their time looking for it. And then... Uh, just by the nature of trying to find it, they'd give themselves away because, like, if you see, if you see somebody lurking about trying to look for a bottle that's buried underground, you'd be like, "Yeah, you're not right in the head. Something's up here." And so, there are like a few fun instances of sort of uh, reflection of malignant particles back to the witch is how they love to phrase it in uh, Salem. Uh, but you can see like this sort of counter magic involved and, and using that as a tool to identify a witch. But there is like a fixation on on hair and hair removal and uh, like an identifying mark on their body that was supposed to signify that someone was a witch. Although, like I said, it was very inconsistent and very convenient, whatever this devil's mark that they found was. Uh, like I said, it could be a mole. It could be a birthmark. It could be an odd scar. It could be a skin tag or any sorts of thing like that. Like, really, if they found anything or, like, an insensitive patch of skin that did not bleed, they would consider that also a, uh, a sign of uh, the witch's mark. Uh, but that was a very common body of evidence used to um, convict witches in witchcraft trials. In fact, uh, the actual witch hunter general himself, the um, the real uh, Matthew Hopkins, um, famously famously making a cameo in uh, Fate Grand Order Salem chapter. Um, this was one of his uh, main bodies of methods uh, in order to uh, accuse and detain people um, and sentence them of witchcraft is uh, obviously confession under torture and identifying the witch's mark uh, was like one of his uh, main mythologies. And Matthew Hopkins was prolific. Um, him and his fr uh, him and his colleagues. Um, would make rounds during Europe or during Britain during uh, the middle of the Civil War, where um, they ended up rounding up, I think, over a hundred some witches in the span of like a year or two. Uh, 
he was he became something of like a celebrity at the time too um he was very often called upon for his services in investigating witchcraft and of course because he's a scumbag he would um charge people and so he made a shit ton of money doing this as well um thankfully for all the innocent uh civilians in the british empire at the time matthew hopkins did very shortly uh succumb to tuberculosis maybe two or three years after he started his rampant investigations so he was not active for very long before he finally uh succumbed to illness but he did leave quite a mess while he was working but one of two of his main bodies of evidence he would work off of he'd start his investigation off of like rumors and accusations um but once he had um his victims in his grasp basically uh two of the main uh methodologies were confession under torture which is very common uh and he would you find application for use of the witch's mark in uh searching the vic uh the um the accused to see if they had uh, a mark on them that was signifying that they had a uh, compact with the devil. Um, uh, and then, um, so this, this dialogue had gone on for quite a bit. And at some point, Jeremy had dropped off a, uh, the tea for everybody and uh ashcraft takes like a huge sip of uh his glass of tea and settles it down and so it just says fascinating stuff isn't it oh yeah mm, definitely yeah, he likes to ramble <laughs> uh do you do you guys have like any further questions or uh do you have anything else you were interested in having expanded upon while you have uh, Ashcraft with you? Um, yeah, I think um, he briefly mentioned something about witchcraft through the use of familiars and stuff. Uh, yes. So this popular in just a particular region. Um, yes, it's like, it's definitely an, um, an English, uh, and by extension, it would be like a Scottish and, you know, like British Isles kind of very common, uh, motif there. Um, the usage of familiars isn't nearly as popular in, um, other realms of, uh, investigation, like in, uh, in Danish or German or French, uh, investigations it's it is predominantly a british isles kind of thing you would see maybe a little bit of extension in that in the americas because they were colonized by the british but mm -hmm. um in salem itself for instance the use of familiars is like uh, non-existent it was women accusing women of you know have sending their specters to do damage um right uh but it is it was like a very common theme in um British investigations, it was very often said that um, witches could compact with familiars to do their bidding. Uh, in some instances, there are famous cases of uh, women saying that they turned into animals themselves uh, when they were witches and could do whatever they want. Um, uh, 
but yeah, it is it is very particularly a a a British, Welsh, Scottish, Irish mentality. Um, you don't you do not see it traverse very far past uh, the Great Britain. Okay, are there any uh, particular interesting cases involving familiars? Uh, they're not necessarily. They're like a couple, uh, like interesting standouts in discussing of familiars as a thing, but not like any particular interesting case where, uh, like say there was a dog running amok in a British community that like murdered five children or something like that. There's no, it's like, it's just that like a lot of the times it was a very common motif if somebody kept like a strange pet or if like an animal would visit them often that was like you know obviously not domesticated that might be a signifier that there was um something going on in that household you know what i mean it could be like a little bit of a tell but largely it was said that um witches could compact with uh, some small animals to help them do their bidding um Uh, and like I said, it, because the witch's mark is also a very common theme in a, uh, British, uh, et cetera, detection of witches, the correlation that like, this is a thing that it, this is a spot on the witch that a familiar, would they have one would feed from, uh, mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, they obviously formed a correlation between the two. Like, oh, this makes sense. You have a witch's mark. You probably have a familiar. This is probably where it feasts from uh, when you feed it, that kind of thing. Um, so, like, both of those lures are... The witch's mark does extend much further than the, the myth of familiars. But um, familiars definitely are less common of a, a theme in witchcraft as a whole. Um, I would say that you as the expert kind of understand that as a general concept as well because in your experience you would know that magic is abundant. Uh, you could, you've done magic yourself. You know there's instances of magic being used all throughout the globe throughout history. Um, magic is abundant. Uh, the use of familiars or like creatures that bend to like another's will and do their bidding is not nearly as common as you'd think in the um in this sort of monster hunting underworld that you occupy uh there are instances where um people you could in some instances probably like uh almost like lovecraftian cultist kind of style like people would summon things but things that get summoned have their own identity. They don't, they're not like at the bidding of their summoners. They, it's the act of summoning is more important to people who engage in that kind of thing than it would be uh, like bringing about their God or whoever they happen to worship or whatever like that. Like it's not about um, control and, con and making, forming contracts and stuff like that. Um, familiar lore as uh, what you would know from your behind the veil experience as somebody who understands magic 
is not something that comes up as often. So it kind of makes sense to you that uh, familiar lore and actual witchcraft history uh, that uh, plains people would know uh, also doesn't spread that far uh, geographically. It's kind of like it's it's literally like a correlation between what is real and then um, what people believed in history. You you kind of see a parallel between yeah, in practical magic, familiars aren't used are very rare, so it makes sense that the myth of familiars based in witchcraft would not spread very far either. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, witchcraft in history is abundant, as is the use of magic. Uh, in your two's realm of underworld it's sort of experience if you will you know you you see the, the correlation in their commonality and popularity and be like yeah there it, it makes sense correlation is not causation but it's like you wouldn't know how to summon a familiar you wouldn't even know where to start uh so it makes sense that uh familiar lore doesn't spread very far uh throughout history Mm -hmm. so that's kind of like a an interesting standout element that you like figure out too like, like yeah that that makes sense it's it's not something that people who, even people who know magic would know how to do very easily it seems like a very sort of specific uh subset of magical knowledge All right. I think that's all the additional questions I have. Don't know if you get anything yourself, Paxton. Not really. I think we covered it all. Uh, and then um, Ashcraft stands up for a second and like grabs a pamphlet that he has in the cabin, on like the left hand side, and then hands it uh, to you, Doctor Smith. And he's like, "That being said, though, while we're on the subject, uh, and you can kind of like." You're like reading ahead of him and you're gleaming like it literally he's going to say basically the same thing that this pamphlet does. But um, <clears throat> he's like most con uh, interestingly, the case about um, Imogen here, the the witch of uh, Harmouth, is that there were sightings uh, before the disappearance of the young lad that she was accused of um, abducting or doing away with. However, they never really did discover the body, um, but. There were rumors at the time, and you see notes that come up in her trial specifically, and of that of her companion Beverly, of a like a massive black dog that was uh, seen um, in the woods, like in the tree line, uh, two or three times before her official arrest, uh, and um, uh, execution. So, you know. Uh, you just talking about familiars it's like it doesn't uh, familiar lore does not pop up in the Salem trials proper at all but Ashcraft mm -hmm. says there this is a particularly interesting little note that our, our witch here and he like waves to the cabin that you guys are uh, around like our witch here Imogen might have been it's, it might be believed that she was employing a familiar in her bidding, which strikes uh, strikes as a odd key compared to 
uh, how the rest of the Salem trials proper proceed. So uh -huh. yeah, it's a very interesting little deviation uh, that makes our case here in Harmouth so much more interesting, interesting and fascinating to me. Uh, but yeah, the the plant flip just goes over it. it there's like it's almost like a maybe three or four lines tops. Uh, but the rumors of like a black dog, a massive black dog, uh, in like the tree lines surrounding the town, um, had made have made made croppings up in some of the materials that they recovered from the trial. Uh, on like three or four different instances, uh, like witness testimony having spotted the dog or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, you know, you, you discussing familiars reminded him of that particular point that he thought was, you know, he's like, you might be interested in this kind of thing, man. That certainly is pretty interesting. Uh, and then, um, Jeremy uh, steps back outside and interrupts, uh, and he's like, uh, Mr. Ashcraft, I think our visitors are here. Uh, and he's like, oh, excuse me for just one second, gentlemen. I'm going to uh, receive the young woman up front real fast. Uh, and he runs back up through the museum towards uh, the parking lot. Uh, you two are seated at a table in the witch's uh, cabin. Uh, it's got like a, he, he draped, uh, like a, a safety cloth over it. So like, you're not going to stain the, the wood that's in there, but like, you have a feeling he might do this a little too often, have tea parties in an actual historical site he, he probably shouldn't be to, in order to preserve the integrity of the site and not do, you know, material damage to it through stains and dirt and such, but uh, he became very well prepared. So he has like a cloth draped over what would be a, like a wooden table. Um, uh, but you two are uh, alone for a second in the cabin. Does he have any kind of like a, I'm, I'm looking like at the books that they're there. There are not a lot of books in the cabin itself. There are there are a few things, um, and there's uh, you're led to believe because you'll remember maybe a little bit from the last time that you happened to be here that some of the material that might be in the cabin is here a little bit more for effect, and not necessarily. Um, entirely accurate. Obviously, you're using a brand new tablecloth over this table that you're sitting at. So, like, <laughs> that's one thing that stands out is that was definitely not historically accurate. Um, but there's, like, a few books that look a little beaten up, but they still look very young, like maybe 10 years old tops that are might just be in there as, like, a sort of prop. Uh, there is... Uh, funnily enough, there is a cauldron in the center of the cabin, or well, center center edge of the cabin. Like it's not quite in this like the dead center of the floor, but it's in a pretty prominent point, clo clo little closer to the wall, but like still very obviously the focal point of the attention in the room. Uh, but there's a plaque on there that literally says that this is like for effect. It is not a realistic prop. There was they did not find a cauldron in the 
when they in the cabin when they recover <laughs> like uh you guys are getting i think closer and closer to halloween so it definitely fits the mood you see like a little decorations on the the museum as you came into so like uh like you can tell that there's like a part of it where ashcraft definitely loves like the lore of it but he's also just like part of it is like personal fire where he just likes doing up and decorating the place a little bit too like he just you know some flourishes are most certainly his and not historically accurate there are some books in the area like a copy of what would be a bible that they used at the time and like a few other like smaller books but nothing nothing very necessarily interesting or profound you believe um imogen is probably literate but um based off some of the research that you did the last time you were here and stuff i believe ashcraft might have said that uh her companion who was accused alongside her uh beverly probably was not literate and so it like there are a few books but nothing like fascinating or interesting probably very few just a no magic tomes no magic tomes. Do you want to do some investigating? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, roll me investigate a mystery then. Is that plus sharp? Plus sharp. Seven. Okay. I think you get hold one for that. I guess probably just what is being concealed here, if anything, right? Yes. All right, cool. Um, and uh, Dr. Smith, what are you doing in this instant? Um... I don't know. I guess I'm just chilling at the moment. I guess uh, if Paxton is up for it, we can go take a peek at what visitors he might be having. I guess while I'm visiting, we can do that so we can split up. And I will come to you after I'm done, I guess. Uh, are you running to the museum then, uh, Dr. Smith? Mm. Or if you wanna if you wanna do it differently, we can swap and you can do the investigation here. Yeah, I think it might be better if I do the investigation. All right, I'll just carry that seven forward then for you, because uh, unless you think you can roll better, maybe I should just give him like plus one um, to, to help to out roll or something like that. Yeah. Okay, Instead yeah. Like... Alright, in that case, um we'll say you're both doing a little digging around, but then uh Dr. Smith, do you wanna give me an investigative mystery then? Uh for okay. plus sharp. Okay, that's a ten, so that's a hold two. Wait, is that a ten? Uh yeah, you get plus one from Paxton because he's helping out. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Sweet. So that's hold two. Uh, so what happened here? What sort of creature is it? What can it do? What can hurt it? Where did it go? What is it going to do? Or what is being concealed here? 
Right. Uh, let's go with what's being concealed here. I mean, all right, that's the obvious one, right? Yeah. All right. Um, you guys, you can even like, you don't hear words, but you hear noise. You can hear some voices going on. It almost sounds like he went through the museum, ended up back at the entrance, and he's probably in the parking lot outside. So he's like a good ways away. You could hear, I'd say you'd hear about like three or four different voices going on. And um, you you hear a little bit of like mechanical moving around. You think like somebody just pulled up in like a truck or something potentially. And they're like, you can just hear activity up front. So you do think that they're going to be whoever it is and whatever they're doing. They're going to be engaged at it for a few minutes. So you guys take the opportunity to, you know, poke around the cabin a little bit. Now, if you recall, uh, uh, Ashcraft did say that um, this particular cabin, uh, this is where it was built originally. Um, the rest of uh, Colony Row here was relocated to this position. Uh, they built it around like the witch house, as a cra like as a um, as like a sort of tourist a site. So um, the other buildings in the area, which are like colonial cabins and such and similar things, were relocated here. But this is the original position that the cabin, Imogen's cabin, would have been built in uh, in the um, early 1600s. So mm -hmm. um, that would give you like reason to believe that like there could be potentially something interesting here that is worth poking around a little bit now that you don't have eyes on you. Um, mm -hmm. So you guys kind of do like a walkabout of the cabin. And you're looking at things. Like I said, what about the mana detector. You can pull out the mana detector. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of activity on it because just the way that it works, its nature is, you know, within 24 hours. But you have you have it out because um, Paxton suggested it, uh, and you're like, well, I guess it can't hurt, right? Okay. <clears throat> okay. Right. So you have it out and you guys are like poking around a little bit and you guys are doing like a pretty good job discerning what might be specifically Ashcraft pop and what might be things that actually were here. You know, some of the furniture is probably authentic, although it might have been restored once or twice in its lifetime. Um, like a like a particular look like a Roddy looking chair. Like you could tell almost from the quality of it, like some of it is a little less finished than the rest and you're like that might be authentic and so there definitely are pieces like in the cabin that seem pretty legitimate uh but there is sort of like a lot of a little bit of fluff that's like decorating the walls that you're you're doing a very good job sorting what's what's like illegitimate and what could be authentic um it's not hard and so you're like passing around you're doing like a, a loop over um and then uh Dr. Smith, you end up in uh, almost like one of the corners of the cabin. Not quite, you know, like tucked away in the full, full corner, but you're maybe like a step or two away from it. Uh, and then you kind of, you feel something. Uh, you notice, you notice it doesn't, it's not like a chill and it's not like emotion, but you kind of, you you kind of take a look at your arm and you feel like your hair is rising up a little bit. It's almost like you feel this sort of very, very subtle, like 
I guess the best way to be put to put it it so you would understand it kick is like imagine you're um imagine having like a dual shot controller on like the lowest rumble setting like you could feel like a small pulse but like it doesn't really feel much like anything you'd notice <laughs> it but it's barely there Ooh. uh and then you take a look at your mana detector and it is doing a very interesting thing that you've never seen it do before and it is the clock hand is rotating in the opposite direction Uh, throughout the entirety of your use of this thing it is always rotated clockwise uh, and then it's fallen back to a default like much like you'd think a needle on a normal gauge right mm -hmm. uh, it has never spun the other way before what uh, sucking up the magic or something some, something is going on in this spot um, and so you call Paxton over, and you guys stand there for, like, a second. Uh, you're looking around, just, like, trying to find what the source of this thing might be. Um, and then you 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 kind of maybe, like, I'd say a little less than, like, a foot off the ground um, in the wall, like, it's it's wood it's like some wood paneling kind of pieces or whatever but uh you're like giving it a tap with your knuckle and you feel that there's a spot that might be partially hollowed out it's covered but you're knocking on it and you're like there's there might this is empty this is like emptier than the rest of the wall here and so you, you try to pick up what you can it's this the way it's blended in the wall is very very convincing uh you probably wouldn't have noticed it if you had not stopped in your tracks to begin with uh but mm -hmm. as you sort of get in here you manage to pull out i'd say a piece that's maybe like an inch and a half tall by like four inches wide just this, this little piece of a wood panel comes pops off the wall and inside you flash a flashlight and you see a pretty interesting sight it's a little compartment uh, it doesn't go very deep uh, there are looks like a few pieces of uh, like parchment inside um, you can see like cobwebs on the corners and stuff. It's like incredibly dusty and dirty in there, almost as if it's been undisturbed for probably several, several decades. Uh, except for the fact that like where you would reach in to pick up the parchment, it does look like compared to the perimeters, the dust might've been kicked up. Not that unrecently. So there's definitely signs of something having moved in here, like done something to this spot. Um, maybe within, there's still some dust settling, so it couldn't have been that recent. But compared to what looks like dirt caked in on the walls and some cobwebs in the back corner, uh, something might have had their hands in here not that long ago. 
Ooh. Uh, there are about, I'd say, three to four pieces of parchment in this compartment. What's on the parchment? Are you grabbing the parchment? Yes. All right. Uh, so, uh, Paxton, you put your hand in there and you pull it out. Uh, yes. You unfurl it. Uh, you're showing it to uh, Dr. Smith, though. Um, to you, there's some like diagrams, some written words. It's, it's maybe a little hard to make out because it, you know, it's definitely a little age-worn, and there are certainly um, some just damage from time done to the parchment, but also. It, you recognize the language as English, but some of the turns of phrase or some of the spellings seem atypical to you. It's definitely like an older English text. Um, so it's like a little hard for you to make out. You kind of, a lot of it doesn't make sense to you. But um, Dr. Smith, if you read it over and you read it over a few times, uh, very quickly, but you like, you go over it two or three or four or five times real fast. And then it's, it dawns on you that like this might be the best way to put it would be it might be notes but it's clearly the workings of some sort of magic spell or ritual here it doesn't feel like it's fully formed there are some ideas on it that seem amateur from your perspective uh but there are some ideas on here uh that like you have n maybe you've never seen expressed before uh, a couple of connotations or some of it seems very experimental but some of it seems like a little almost uh like it, some of it seems like really amateur and like the handwriting and the, the language you even in the dialect that it's written in in older english you can spot what would probably be a spelling error even in the way they spelled things then um mm -hmm. not like fully literate um but some of the concepts that are presented here seem almost a little genius to you like there's there's something going on here that is both you know amateur and genius at the same time uh but considering like you've seen more formal texts written by people who have probably like written whole tomes and anthologies of magic before and this seems mm -hmm. to like buck tradition it feels a little a little homegrown a little amateur maybe a little homebrew if you will like somebody might be like somebody's private notes trying to figure something out Mm -hmm. have, have I seen the handwriting? No, you've never seen this handwriting before. Okay. Um, can we take pictures of the parchments? Uh, yeah. Okay. You have pictures of... Uh, I'd say you have three sheets total now. Um, Double-sided. I'm going to pick up the uh, the parchment too. I'm not just going to leave it here. Or do you want to yeah. leave it here? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I'm kind of torn because like... I mean, they probably, Ashcord probably doesn't know about it. Right. But, um, do we want the actual witch to know that we know? That's the question. Yeah, but what if she needs it? And if she doesn't have it, or they? I don't know. 
Well, I probably should have a, like a camera or something in the RV that I could put in inside if anybody else comes here, right? You do have to go get it. It'd be in your RV. Yeah, but I would have I it, take right? the pictures or no, 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 no. You, oh. you have you have photos. He's talking about like surveillance camera. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Like a like a like a spy cam or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't have that on your person. You'd have to go to the RV to get it. All right, uh, I'll do that then. All right, cool. But, uh, uh, I let the uh, Doctor Smith decide whether they want to leave it here or keep it. The originals, I mean. Oh no. <laughs> All right. Well, you head. You make your way up front. Um, you decide to walk around the museum instead of um, uh, entering and leaving it. Um, uh, just because of a matter of convenience, you know your RV is parked outside. You're just heading towards your RV. Uh, as you like, make it to the corner of uh, the museum. You do get to see what like all the huff and puff of whatever that sort of noise and the communications that was going on up front and you see a few people standing out front now um uh you see jeremy and ashcraft um they're up front and they're unloading a truck um that has like a bunch of different like uh, plants and shrubbery and trees inside of it um the also in the truck sort of like assisting them and handing them stuff is actually um olivia grayson park ranger uh, in um, normal clothes, uh, and then by the passenger side of the truck, you see a woman that you have not met before, uh, or you believe you haven't met before. Can you roll me a? Um, we'll do an ID check here, uh, plus sharp with no consequence. Yeah, you. She doesn't seem familiar to you. You're pretty sure you haven't met her before, though. Do I get experience? No, like I said, no consequence. Oh. Yeah. You're pretty sure you haven't met this woman before. You don't recognize her either way, though. What is she doing? Helping them? Uh, kind of helping, but like, uh, it's clear that um, Jeremy, uh, being a younger man, and uh, Olivia Grayson, being pretty fit, uh you know, like late twenties woman is like doing a lot of the legwork here. Ashcraft is also assisting with some of like the smaller pieces, but he is an older gentleman. So he's not like fit. Um, the woman, let me describe her for you real fast then. Uh, first off and foremost, uh, she's pretty cute. I will say that. Um, she's a little done up. Like she's, um, she's dressed pretty casually, but, um, uh, the makeup she's wearing and everything she uh, you know like her her the mascara the foundation like she she looks like somebody who knows how to do uh how to doll themselves up very well um she is like dressed fairly casually though it's kind of like yoga pants and like uh it's just like a small hoodie uh that's like zipped up and everything like the the clothes don't quite match uh the like the way her face is looking or whatever uh and she's like contributing a little bit um uh she's long uh long brown hair that reaches like her middle back uh and it starts to like wave at an end it's largely straight but there's like a little bit of curl at the the very end um 
Uh, from here, uh, you also spot like a like a small little beauty mark underneath her right eye uh, that sort of accentuates like the charm oh, no. in her face. Um, oh no! And um, she's got um, pretty like actually like sort of almost worn in uh, sneakers on. So like she doesn't she isn't dressed in the same way that she's like made up uh, in her face. Uh, but you know. She, uh, you see that she's mostly buzzing around uh, Olivia in particular, though. Um, like, she's being nice to Ashcraft and Jeremy, but um, uh, you kind of feel like maybe in a in a, some small fashion, just by the way that she's acting, uh, she's kind of like dragged along a little bit into this chore that maybe she wasn't super interested in doing. Well, uh, I'm gonna go for the camera quickly, then return back. Uh, give it to Dr. Smith to install with like a manual that comes with the camera and then go back outside. Uh, how are you making your way to the RV? Are you being obvious about it or are you being stealthy about it? I try to be stealthy. Okay, try not to draw your attention? Yes. Um... All right, everyone uh, in the front of the museum is actually like maybe way too preoccupied that they do not seem to notice you. Um, but this woman that you haven't met isn't really as much focused. Um, if you want to actually try to be stealthy, I will let you roll for it. But if you don't care that much, then. Well, hopefully I was trying to, you know, do this thing and then uh, come uh, outside and be like, uh, do you need any help? But uh... so yeah, I'm trying to stealth into the RV. All right, back. roll me. Um, act under pressure, and then I'll give you a, just a plus one advantage because everyone else is distracted. I forgot the, that's what uh, uh, cool. It's plus cool, yeah. That is your strong suit. Yeah, so plus one, right? And with a plus one, yeah. Right. Ooh. Uh, you ace through it, no problem. You. There's like not even a, an instant. She, you kind of just, it's you, you move so naturally that it doesn't draw any attention to them at all. And uh, it's like if they even noticed you out of the corner of their eye, they didn't pay you any mind. So, um, you absolutely crush it. Uh, you're in your RV and you're not in there for very long. You know exactly what you're going for, and then you get out. Uh, just in time to like everyone's back is turned to you and you make it to the other side of the museum and out of sight uh, without any instant incident uh, incident nice alright so you make your way back into the cabin and you have like a small spy camera I'd say how is how is this going to work how what's like it's battery it's got to be battery operated right oh yeah uh but it's also like motion sensor, so it doesn't like uh, you know use a lot of battery. Uh, so it's... unless it's recording. Okay, that's fair. And how uh... long, how long do you think that would last then? If if you're expecting <sighs> not a lot of activity. Well, if you expect not a lot of activity, it should last at least like two weeks, maybe. Okay. But uh, it only records for like maybe two hours. Yeah, I'd say I'd say you get that'd be more than enough if this thing opened up for you though. So yeah, we'll say two hours recording, two weeks battery life. Under, yeah. under normal operating procedures, presuming that no one's ever going to even 
touch this thing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have remote access to it though? Probably. Yeah, uh, for the phone. Uh, but uh, it can also record uh, like last uh, ten minutes uh, on itself. But otherwise, uh, it's uh, better to like uh, use like a Wi-Fi hotspot or something to directly transmit somewhere else. Okay. Because it's good. really small. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. You can. Yeah, that's yours. You have that. And uh, I. Uh, uh, I place it somewhat like uh, where it would like blend a little bit better into the environment, so it doesn't, you know, stand out unless somebody like uh, investigates something or you know. Alright, where are you putting it in particular though? Are you on the outside pointing at the thing, or are you putting it in yeah, the yeah. secret compartment? Outside pointing in because uh, I don't think the secret compartment has a good angle from inside, does it? Uh, potentially not. You might only catch, like, a hand or If two. somebody goes, like, blind in just to take something out, you yeah. wouldn't catch their face or something, right? Okay. Um, alright, that sounds good. You like do... From, like, you... a nearby wall or, like, bookcase or something. Alright, so you angle it in a way, since this is up against the wall, it's kind of tucked away close to a corner. You're... That the... You don't expect the motion signal signal to detect very often, uh, but you do realize that this is a public venue that it you might have a couple of misfires. Oh, of course, of course. Okay. But I can always check the phone when I get the alert and get like last ten minutes, or like uh, I can I get live feed as well. But like, if I didn't have time, I could get like download on the on the background if you know if I have the signal. Alright, yeah, we can we you you we can grant you that. Uh, and it's pretty small and it's compact that you can, you really can like pretty much hide it away. And unless somebody was staring dead at it from pretty close, they wouldn't be able to find it. Oh, oh also, uh, it has like a the tiny amount of uh, explosive gunpowder inside. It can be remotely uh, like destroyed. <laughs> sure. Why not, James Bond? <laughs> I'm more interested if Tit Kirby picks it up or something like that, you know, just in case. Um, you're pretty confident that no one's going to find this by chance. Yeah, but he might pull up like a like some wireless scanner that scans something. That's no, that's fair. Wireless. But I'm I'm telling you, you're you're positioning on this the fact that the way you set it up, it, you're very confident that nobody's going to find it by chance. All right. Hey, do you, so, yeah. do you have a, a camera installation then? Yeah. Alright, so uh, I'm gonna go out again. Um, this time I actually go to Dr. Clay. What did we decide to do with the parchment? Uh... <laughs> you, should, um... you, should, you should take a, a different parchment and write uh, the same stuff on it. So we have the original. Maybe. You do yeah, not think but... that you could reproduce a... a... A convincing copy in the short time of span that you have with the materials, that, even with stuff in the RV. Yeah, but what about uh, something that would convince somebody who hasn't read it yet that it is the stuff? Maybe like when a witch sends somebody else for the stuff. You could maybe do that. It it might take you a few minutes though. Okay. Well, just in case you want to take the original, that's. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah, kind of. I'm not sure if we can set something up, something else up to help ID the witch if she decides to touch the parchments. Maybe. 
Like, I know there's Some, like uh, uranium tagging or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Could be like isotope marked or something. Okay, well, let's define what you're trying to do. Are you trying to mark the witch if they touch it? Or mark whoever touches it if they touch it? Um, yes. Okay, so kind of like an invisible ink tag, but then how would you know that they're tagged? Well, you scan them somehow, you know. Okay. Or maybe, maybe uh, it could be also be like a supernatural, maybe some sort of a uh, spell. Well, if that's the case, then they might know how to dispel it too. Oh, that's true. But that's why we have a camera, you know, all back, you know, everything's... Uh, right. Unless they're like invisible or something, but then... Okay. Um... I don't know, maybe something that's like long-lasting and resistant to being washed off. But in return, Maybe, we'll probably need know. to, like, specifically single that person out and use, like, some sort of black light or something to identify. Oh, what about some sort of uh, radiotope isotope, you know, that's uh, identified mark? Um, hmm. Okay, so if you guys want to consider a technological perspective on how to tackle this, you can dwell on that if you're worried about the magical angle. But I will, I'll give you, I'll give you this, uh, Clay, because you do know a little bit about magic. Um, you feel like you could get a similar effect uh, with magic. Um, you could probably tag somebody. The I believe I'd have two interesting hooks that might complicate this decision though a little bit. So, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like in invisible ink and then like a black light to spot it, um, the tagging would be they wouldn't notice it. They wouldn't feel it or anything. Um, it'd be pretty covert even for somebody else who might know magic. Even it's pretty subtle. Mm -hmm. So you think you can go in undiscovered. However, your methodology for reading a tag is that you will have to have physical contact with the person who's tagged. So you will have to touch them in some element skin to skin. Okay. <clears throat> Can't, might not be that bad. You could always do like a handshake or some shit, but you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's gotta be skin to skin contact and then you will feel a reaction uh, if it happens. Okay. Um, and so, like I said, uh, the other caveat is that while the spell itself is covert, if you fuck up on the implementation of it, it could go south. Like any other use of magic, really. But, like, um, right, right, right. you do have to execute it. It's not terribly hard, but you're, you, you know more about magic than you're practically adept at. Um, so, like, you have the knowledge base, you just don't have the practice. You know what I mean? So there is error, room for error here. Uh, but it is, it's an avenue that's available to you if you're interested in it. Um, all right, I think we can go with that. So, uh, Paxton, what do you think about tagging the originals and then leaving them behind, putting them back? Sure. 
Alright, sounds good to me. Alright, cool. Uh, in that case, uh, I will have you do uh, use magic, though. Um, we do have... Um, So, uh, use magic here. It says, uh, when you use magic, try to say what you're trying to achieve and then how you do the spell and then roll plus weird. Uh, plus 10 magic works. No issue. Choose your effect. On 7 and 9, it works imperfectly. Choose a glitch. Uh, and on a miss, you lose control of magic. Um, effects. This, um, hmm. I mean, we know what it wants. So, I guess it'd be beyond human limitations or something like... Uh, yeah, so we know what we actually want to do. We have a probably more specific uh, effect than what this is asking for. Um, I will say this for requirements. Uh, you will have to add a symbol to the parchment. So you will have to draw on the parchment. Also, you should probably forge in some uh, uh, errors into the parchment just in somebody wants to use it, you know? <laughs> I will say this. You you have, like, a ballpoint pen on you, uh, which will work for what you're trying to do. But if you're, mm -hmm. like, trying to... If you're trying to follow E's suggestion and like fabricate stuff, the quality of like the ink is going to, it's going to stand yeah. out. Like you can draw a symbol in its whole entirety in like the corner and that wouldn't necessarily be out of place because it's a symbol and it's like abstract. But if you're like trying to write over parts or something, like it would, it would stand <laughs> out if you did text to text or like started to scratch things off or something like that, you know? Um, right. But like a, its yeah, but own symbol, the, like in the wouldn't corner. Wouldn't there be like, wouldn't there be like a pen that could work in the, uh, in the house? Uh, you can roll me investigate. Because it's uh, supposed to be, you know, like uh, original. So maybe there's like a, uh, the, the um, writing pen or something. I, uh, uh, the table. I mean. Uh, Paxton, you can roll me investigate or uh, clay if you want like, a more authentic pen. Uh, you could roll me preparedness. It could also be better for the mark, then it wouldn't look out of place at all. Alright, um, I'll roll preparedness for this. I rolled investigate. Alright, uh, Paxton, you do some shift... Alright, now I have to look up preparedness and see what the fail is for that. Um, I know where it is, but it's in a bad place. So it isn't too terrible to draw back, I guess. Maybe it's in the army and you have to sneak for it again. <laughs> I'll go ahead and... Or should I mark an experience for failing that? Uh, yeah, you you should, for sure. Um, <laughs> Paxton, you do a shuffle about uh, in the cabin here looking for like a quill pen or an equivalent or something like that. Uh, and, uh, during your shuffle, you bump into the table and actually spill some tea. Oh, I was just about to say that. <laughs> uh, Clay, uh, you think that there might be 
an equivalent there might be quill pens in the gift shop in the museum but you're actually pretty questionable about if the quality and the parrot like if the parody if they're like authentic or whether they're more novelty quill pens and if they'd like right. actually if they'd be even that much better than your, the ballpoint you have on you yeah yeah okay uh you could you know maybe a few instances like who you could talk to to get a legitimate quill pen like they would do uh but it's certainly they're not accessible now and it would probably take a little time for them to uh draft it up for you so uh, it is not available to you. Okay. Uh, Paxton, what are you doing with that spill on that countertop? I just uh, uh, use that, uh, uh, what's it called? The, the tablecloth to wipe it out. Okay. There is now a decent stain on the tablecloth that should be pretty <laughs> obvious. I just uh, put it over the chair, you know, like, and then I go out. Because I'm supposed to. <laughs> okay, sounds good. You don't think anyone will notice it immediately, but if somebody picks up, uh, like that. Yeah, don't worry about it. I'm just I'm gonna tell uh, about the, to Ashcroft anyways. I'm just say that uh, I was uh, I bumped into the tea, so I wipe it off. You know, so it doesn't stain to the furniture. Sounds good. Right. Uh, um, I think I'll go ahead and add that tag symbol to the parchment to each of the parchments then all right cool is that going to be one rule or one for each sheet uh you think you're only gonna have to hit the one because the the way you're going to you're gonna fold it up back the way you found it but considered mm -hmm. they were like rolled into each other yeah um, you think that there's no practical way that they're you're gonna like put it on the outside so there's like no practical way that they could take the the inner sheet without touching the outer sheet and then that's all you need you only okay. need, you only need them to make contact with it so okay it's basically like you're laying out a trap that guarantees it to fire with yeah. just the one um, sheet are there any caveats about how long this lasts no okay okay if anyone no. touches the thing uh you'll be able to know what about if multiple people uh, touch this stuff? You will Can also be able to get, you'll get multiple reactions if you ever do touch anybody, though. Like, nice. You won't... It's, the thing is, you have to touch them in order to to test whether they're tagged or not. Uh, right, right. But you will never know if they're tagged until you touch them. So, like, you won't know if the thing fired. You're right, right, get, right. Like, you're not going to get an alert. You know? Right. Well, now, now you just have to bump into everyone. Exactly. Next. Okay. Right, um, right. I'll go ahead and that then. So the marking is drawn on there, whether you succeed or not. Now, mm -hmm. but I am gonna need you to roll uh, plus weird for use magic. All right. You didn't think this spell was gonna be that big of a deal, and you ace it clean. It's gonna do exactly what you wanted to do. I was strongly considering using a luck for it too, if it was a bad roll. Nah, you're works without issues all right I mean, the bad room may be something like burns the uh, burns the parchments or something like that makes it obvious some, something happened to it mm -hmm. well anyways i'm going out in the meantime you got a 10 and you don't have any weird <laughs> that's like really good Indeed. all right 
guess I'll go ahead and roll up the parchments and put it back, put it back the way I found it. Put the camouflaging paint on too. Yeah, uh, it. You put it back, uh, pretty much perfectly. It, like I said, it like literally blends. It's like so well done that it like blends in pretty smooth. Um. Uh. So, you um. You don't think it'll be an issue. Like no, nobody's gonna by chance come across this. Uh, you literally only noticed it because of a weird feeling that you got, and you think it might be because you yourself have experience with doing magic. So you don't expect like, um, uh, Paxton didn't notice it. So, mm -hmm. uh, you don't think any late person's gonna find it. Sweet. All right. Um, actually, I think I might have to go pretty soon here. I'm not sure if we want to do any. All right. Wrap up within the next few minutes. Um. Or if this might be a good enough stopping point, I don't know. I mean, we can leave it off here. Um. We got we got a little bit of investigative done. That's, I think it's pretty fun. It's more about the witch trials. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot about that, but there's... You have to filter it, but there's probably some pertinent information in there. Um, right. got to meet myself for a little bit. got to take a phone call. I, I think we're done, then. All right. Um, oh, uh, I have an idea for the level up, maybe. I, for right now, though, I think we'll do end of experience or end of session, and I think that's probably just going to be one experience points. All right. Let me see where that's at. Yeah, okay. So the standard questions, again, are uh, did we conclude the current mystery? Did we save someone from certain death or worse? Did we learn something new and important about the world? And did we learn something new and important about one of the hunters? And almost always, our, it seems like our third question is going to be yes. So I think yep. that's one experience point for the both of you. All right. Two so more. I'm level I think up. I have, yeah, I have you at three now. And then uh, Clay should have two experience. Uh, character sheets. Character sheet, character sheet. Yeah, you're at three. And he's going to be at two uh, with this uh, end accession. So, okay, cool. I'm just going to mark that for him because I can do that. And then we should be good. All right. Uh, what's your level up idea? We can talk about that while I have you here. Uh, well, the idea was I was looking at the... Uh, the... DLC, <laughs> the the expansion. Okay. And uh, one of the um, one of the level ups, uh, the advanced ones, which we have the next level open up. You know, should be the fifth level after that. It's right? it's fifth and after, right? For advanced improvements, I think. Yeah. I think you're right. I think at level five you can do advanced improvements. So yeah, so there's the. But advanced. this is improvement number four, so. I know. You don't have yet. <clears throat> but I can. Uh, e uh, what if I don't level up at all? 
for this one and keep it for the next one and the idea would be that uh, uh, you can uh, take another playbook as a advancement and uh, let me link this to you Where's the discord uh, this is the playbooks that are apparently in the in the add-on okay I'll take a look at this real fast uh -huh. and uh, well the I'm not sure how you're gonna like uh, it's m mostly for you how you're gonna fit it or how would be appropriate but I was thinking about the hex book okay and it would be done in a way that I find uh, maybe some sort of a magic tome and book and start maybe be forced to use it to save someone or something like that and then it would kind of do the effect of me you know like because uh, when you uh, i read the book and when you supposed to like take another playbook you're supposed to keep the old one but decide which still applies which still doesn't so i'm not sure how that works completely okay i'm back Alright, um... You got an XP. I added it to your sheet already, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, you get one for the end of experience questions. Or end of session experience questions. So, so I was thinking, what if this was like, you know, I find something and start using it because I have to at the beginning, and then, you know, it uh, kind of grows with the temptation to use it, you know? either addiction or maybe like vengeance or something like that that would have to figure it out which fits the best you know you know what's weird that this is like a free stuff the evil hat uh, link right so what else is in the actual add-on I'm not sure might have to get it so what do you think? Oh yeah, and for like not using the uh, stuff, uh, I would uh, uh, I would keep it and then use it to also level up uh, something else that I might need it for this character. I'm not sure. So you're trying to take another playbook and then... Well, I was thinking about using it as a plus weird, but uh, because the, but I cannot do it for the this uh, improvement for this character. But I can do it for the other playbook as a normal uh, advancement, not uh, normal improvement. You know, have it like some sort of multi-classing. <laughs> um, I'll give it some thought. All right. 
Yeah, it... Uh, we'll 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 give it some thought. Um, I I might I'll have to I'll have to like think on it for a bit. There is. <clears throat> there is certainly. Um, I guess now there's like a body of evidence that you could use. You have these three pieces of parchment uh, that could be your instigating. Uh, totem like you you call it a tome but it could literally just be three pages of parchment now you know what i mean sure uh so like under any other circumstances i would probably say no but now that you actually do have an instrument that's got some spooky shit going on with it like <laughs> it might it might be more feasible considering like the the tone and the realism and all that other shit that i'm like going for here like, it fits better now than it would have at the start of the session. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, that's why I thought about it during the session. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it a, I'll give it a look over. Um, why would you need to... Why would you delay your improvement, though? Can't you just take that as your fifth improvement? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the thing is, uh, they're supposed to be using a weird, right? And I have a, a terrible weird. Well, not the worst, but like it's a zero. And to get that, uh, I would either have to wait for the sixth improvement, or if I hold it, I can use the normal improvement from the this class, from the hex, which is just plus one weird. You know? At least that's my rational. Uh, Alright, and then your playbook says... What are your improvements? Again, just... Uh, You basically like change this hunter to a new type. Yeah. Is your advanced improvement? Well, that's how that thing works, right? At least uh, what I read in the rules. <sighs> Doesn't that change your whole stat line though? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, definitely should keep the stats, right? Because then they're just making a new character, right?
Yeah, there's a list of stuff to consider when changing to a new type. It's like uh, your ratings and history stay the same. For your old moves, check each one to side with the keeper if it's intrinsic to who you are. Or just something you did for a while. If intrinsic, keep it. If not, erase it. Add moves from new playbook if, as if you were creating a new hunter. And finally, you may or may not get the new gear or keep your old gear depending on what makes sense. So here it would make sense to keep the old gear instead, you know? Go ahead and copy paste the text here. Yeah, I'm curious where that says that. I actually do want to look at that. Um, I, uh. Okay, so your ratings and history stay the same. Oh, that make, I mean, history, obviously, but so your ratings do stay the same. Okay. Let me change your name or look if you want. Uh, for your old moves, check each one side with the keeper if it is intrinsic to you or if it's something you did for a while. If it's intrinsic, keep the move. If not, erase it. Then add new moves from your new playbook as if you're creating a new hunter. Finally, you may or may not get the new gear. Keep it old depending on what makes sense for your circumstances. They change. Um... Okay, you, yeah. I mean, you're going to lose a little bit of your improvements if you do that, but uh, I'm, I'll look into it. There might sure. be a possibility here. Um. We'll think about it, I guess. How it fits the world. If it fits the world. But, like... Also, couldn't we just take stuff from the Hex book instead and just add it to your character? Like, what well, Yeah, but, like, uh, I don't know how it works because it's supposed to be, you know, like, uh, you have uh, uh, down downsides to it as well. I don't know how it would work, like, like, uh, it assumes you can do magic, right? But uh, I can't do magic without being the Hex, in a way, you know? Or not? I don't know. Um, if it's... I mean, like I said, anyone can do magic in this universe. You just have to have the know-how and the material. Like, you could... You could absolutely use magic. The thing is, like, you wouldn't be good at it, especially with a plus zero to weird. Well, kicks is zero weird as well, right? Yeah, but he's got some modifiers that make him more adept at it, and then I'm also occasionally more inclined to give him a uh, plus one modifier just for circumstance. Like, he's got s stuff in this workshop, I think, that could potentially help him out. Get a plus one for uh, free, basically. So like under the right circumstances, he can do better. Uh, he's got a, I think he's got a couple of modifiers because of his haven, but that's true.
Alright, in that case though, I do think we can wrap it up here. I will take a look at that. Um, I did a lot more of the lecture stuff, uh, although I knew I was going to, than I like really wanted. But uh, we did move... Uh, we, we made a very interesting discovery at the end of the session, so uh, I think that'll pay dividends later on. It's probably just, you know, Kirby's secret place. Alright, in that case, uh, we can head on out. Thank you guys for uh, playing, even though it was short. Uh, at least we got to do something sometimes.